At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Thank you to this beautiful choir behind me, and thank you uh, for Dan Arndt. What a great song we just sang. I, I wrote down as they were singing this song, and again, it's a new song, and it's called Join the Song. I love how they chronicle throughout uh, the ages. Uh, those who have believed in God have sang of his faithfulness, his goodness, and his grace. Uh, but there's a line in there that says, God is good despite the pain. God is good despite the pain. We need to be reminded of that. And I would even take it a step further to say that God sometimes uses pain to reveal his goodness. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what theologians refer to as God's severe mercy. How many like movies? How many enjoy movies? Last night was movie night at the Brooks house, and one of the things that I love about movies are movies that end differently than you anticipated. You know, the trajectory, the storyline, the plot of the movie seems to be leading to a particular outcome, and then there's a, a twist at the end that leads us to a conclusion that we didn't expect. Those are the best movies. Well, such is the case with the story of Jonah. We've been studying Jonah. Jonah can be found in what's known as, as a section of the Bible known as the minor prophets. Not minor because what they say is less important, but they just say fewer things. Towards the end of your Old Testament, it is right there with a number of uh, those smaller books. But if you can find Jonah in your Bible, you might have to reference your table of contents or your Bible app, but join me there. If you've gone to Micah, you've gone too far. If you're near Revelation, I'll just pray for you. <laughs> we'll put the words on the screen, but Jonah's story takes a plot twist. When we were last with Jonah, he had gotten a word from the Lord, go to a group called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh at the time was a cruel people. Nineveh at the time was a very vicious nation. I told you last week that we should picture imagery like uh, Nazi Germany and the Blitzkrieg and the devastation of Europe under Hitler, or we should picture modern-day ISIS, a very cruel and violent people was Nineveh. And Israel had suffered at the hands of the Ninevites for many, many years. So when Jonah gets this word to go and preach to them that uh, God's judgment was coming, he ran the other direction. And he didn't run the other direction because of fear. No, he ran the other direction because he knows God's character. And what he knows about God's character is that if I preach and they repent, he'll forgive. How many praise God for that character? How many thank God that we serve a God of mercy and grace? And it's almost as if Jonah's rebellion is a backhanded compliment to God that I know you are good, I know you are merciful, I've seen it in my own life, and I don't want them to receive the same mercy. So he leaves, but the Bible describes it this way. In chapter one, verse number three, twice we read that he went down. He went down to Joppa. He found a boat there and he went down to buy the ticket. He got on the boat and in verse number five, it says that he went down into the inner part of the boat or the hull of the boat. 
Three times he went down. And this is what happens. Whenever we are fleeing from God, we keep going down, down, down. Jonah's life was literally spiraling down. Storm came and he gets on this boat and, and he responds totally opposite of what you would expect a prophet to respond. He doesn't cry out to God. He doesn't acknowledge God. He doesn't respond in faith. As a matter of fact, he's on the, on the ship with some sailors that you would think would be crude and, and God haters, but here they are responding the way that you would hope a prophet would. Nobody's behaving in character, but the trajectory of the story when we left it last week, seemed like judgment, like rebellion and then judgment. As a matter of fact, verse number 17 reads this way, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I left you with this question last week, and that was, what do you see when you read that verse? If all you see is judgment, then you've missed something, something very profound. It's again, what theologians call God's severe mercy. What is severe mercy? It is when God intervenes in our lives in such a way where it feels like punishment, but it's ultimately compassion. When God intervenes in our lives in a way where it feels like judgment, but it's actually a grace disguised. You know, God could have let Jonah's sin destroy him. God certainly could have let the sea, the storm of the sea, consume and destroy him. But yet he sends this great fish to swallow Jonah up as an act of severe mercy. Something that hurts in the moment, that does not feel good, but is actually God keeping us from a greater evil or a greater harm. Now, for some of you, it's maybe even hard to get to the theological part because you can't get beyond the phenomenological part, the, the, uh, the part that seems too fanciful. Maybe you can't get beyond this big fish thinking, how in the world could this happen? But I will tell you, as I said last week, that this isn't the miracle of it all. As a matter of fact, there are several tales of those who have been swallowed by whales and live to tell the story. I'll just give you two. You can research it more yourself. The earliest of which that I could find was James Bartley. James Bartley, August 1, 1891. That's when his story was published in the St. Louis Global News. St. Louis Global News. St. Louis, Missouri, he uh, was uh, on a whale expedition, hunting for whales. But as fate would have it, the whales that he was hunting against turned on him, and he became the hunted off the uh, Falkland Islands. And he was swallowed up as his boat was attacked by what's called a, a sperm whale, a, a, a giant whale but he survived and his story was recorded and captured and spread during his day. Well, you would say, well, uh, maybe you'll say that was a long time ago. Well, recently, as recently as last year, in the summer of last year, June 2021, 60 Minutes did a story on Michael Packard. Maybe you've seen this story. He's a lobster fisherman and an expert diver. 25 years of experience. He was off the coast of Cape, Cape Cod where he was on a diving expedition for lobster and he was swallowed up by a humpback whale and lived to survive it. 
If I had more time, I would tell the story more, but I would say this, that the miraculous thing is not that big fish can swallow men alive and that men can survive. The miraculous thing is Genesis 1.1. If you can believe Genesis 1.1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, everything else is possible. As a matter of fact, one theologian, I believe it was St. Augustine, put it this way. He says, if the resurrection is true, then everything else is but a footnote. How many thank God for the resurrection and the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead? No, the well is not the miraculous thing here. The miraculous thing here is God's severe mercy. But why does God send his severe mercy? Or to put another way, the question that the text begs us to ask is, why does God correct us? Why does he send his correction? Why does he send his discipline? Well, one of the reasons he sends it is to pursue us. What God wanted Jonah to know is that you can run from me, but I'm never going to let go of you. If you were to give a title to chapter one of Jonah, it would be Jonah running from God. Jonah was trying his best to get get away from God. He didn't want to obey him. He thought that somehow if I uh, tried to pretend like God was no longer in my life, he would leave me alone. And maybe you fall into that trap before thinking that if you just stop worshiping or just stop praying or just stop studying your Bible or going to church, that somehow God will leave you alone. But when you are his, when you are marked by him, his hand is upon your life and he will pursue you. He'll pursue you in a bar. He'll pursue you in a nightclub. He'll pursue you when you're in sin and far from him. God knows how to pursue us. But one of the ways he gives us a grace disguise is through this act of severe mercy. This severe mercy in Jonah's life was a whale that swallowed him or a big fish, great fish, that swallowed him. What does severe mercy look like in our lives? I was thinking about that this week. What does severe mercy look like in our lives? Well, sometimes severe mercy can look like rejection, Rejection for somebody that you admire, somebody that you may even love, somebody that you want to have acceptance from. Have you ever had a door closed that later on you look back on and it hurt bad in the moment, but you thank God now that that door was closed? Anybody ever been through that type of severe mercy? Or have you ever pursued a person wanting to have a relationship with them only to be rejected and it hurt bad in the moment? You were brokenhearted, but later on you thank God that that relationship didn't work out? Don't raise your hand, just say amen. (laughs) But I think some of you know what I'm talking about. I think back over my life and I praise God that some of the relationships that Chris Brooks pursued didn't work out. And I'm sure if King David was standing here, he would say the same thing about Saul. You know, David, as a young man, before he was king, he wanted Saul, the king at the time, to affirm him, to simply accept him, to be a mentor, if not a type of surrogate father for him, to teach him the ways of the palace. But Saul would have no part of it. Saul rejected David and even plotted to kill him. And it was the best thing that ever happened to David. Because had David been accepted by Saul, he probably would have become Saul Jr., Saul II, a mentor, a mini-me of Saul. He would have reproduced Saul's pride and insecurities. God was protecting him through the rejection 
It was a severe mercy. It was a grace disguised. Sometimes physical ailment can be a grace disguised. Just ask Johnny Erickson Tata. Anybody ever heard of Johnny Erickson Tata, a quadriplegic, can't use uh, her limbs, but yet she describes her faith in God as being more alive after the, uh, the afflictions of her physical body was realized than it was at all before. Sometimes grace comes in packages that's hard to recognize. For Jonah, it was in the form of a whale. What is it for you? What is it for you? What, what, what grace is God giving you now? What severe mercy? What pain? What doors are closing? What rejection is happening? What financial distress is happening that drives you back to God and reminds you that he is pursuing you? Not every door that doesn't open is because of practical reasons. Sometimes doors don't open because God is showing you severe mercy. He employs that severe mercy first to pursue us, but then as we're gonna see next, he does it to awaken us. Look at chapter two, verses one through six. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Now, I just wanna note right there, up until this point, the brother hasn't prayed at all. He hasn't prayed when the storm came. He hasn't prayed at all in his rebellion when he's running from God. He didn't pray a prayer of salvation or revival for Nineveh. He has been silent in his relationship with God. But notice after severe mercy comes into his life, what happens? He, his faith awakens. And he prays to God saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Praise God for a holy distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head at the roots of the mountains when uh, went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He describes in almost poetic prose what he was experiencing. Here's a question I have for you. If you were swallowed by a great fish, how would you pass time? What would you do? Well, I think that we would do exactly what Jonah did. We would be praying. We probably have the best prayers we've ever prayed. You know, prayer is one of those things that you can take a class on, but it really doesn't come by way of cognitive education. Prayer is one of those things that comes from a heart longing uh, for God's rescue. Prayer is one of those things that develops from our distress. You put a man or a woman in distress and you don't have to give them a course on prayer. They'll begin to pray like Jonah prayed. And pray, Jonah prayed like the psalmist. He began to cry out to God. He remembers his faith. He remembers God but here's how he describes his situation. 
He describes his situation as being in the belly of Sheol, verse number two. Now, Sheol is Hebrew for what the Greeks would call Hades, and Hades is the place of the dead. It is the, the cemetery or the holding place for those who were, were dead. In other words, he says, God, I was left for dead. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you felt abandoned by God, you felt left for dead, you felt no hope, that there was no escape, that there was no way that this situation was going to get better. I think about Chuck Colson. I got a chance to meet Chuck Colson and to work with Chuck before he passed away. Some of you know his story. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He worked in the White House. He was a lawyer, hard-hearted lawyer who did the dirty work for many people, many of his clients, but his most famous was the president. And uh, Watergate was his, his whole scheme. He masterminded the whole thing. Imagine what severe mercy looks like when it turns out that your sins are exposed and your crimes are revealed. This is what happens in his life. He is arrested. He is convicted. After a long trial, he confesses to his crimes, his sins, and he finds himself confined in a small prison cell. Imagine that, falling from such heights of glory and reputation to now being in prison. But it was there that God found him. It was there where a ministry was birthed called prison. In fellowship. It was there where this man exchanged his prison bars for freedom in Christ. Listen, friends, God can find you even in the heart of Sheol, even in the midst of rejection, even in a jail cell. Don't think that God's severe mercy means that he's abandoning you. It might mean that he has you exactly where he wants you. And so in the midst of all of our trials, know this, that God is orchestrating our deliverance and he is revealing his goodness and grace. And I pray that things would not work out so well in our lives that we get so comfortable that we forget our need for God. It was in his distress that he remembered, that he awakened to the fact that he needed God. But I love his faith. I love his faith. If you look down in verse number four, he says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. This is my, my current condition. But then he goes on to say, yet I shall again look upon your, temp your holy temple. In other words, God, my circumstances might be bad, but I haven't forgotten your character. I want to remind you of the character of God, even when you can't figure out what he's up to. Uh, you're not as smart as he is, neither am I. We'll never be able to quite know exactly what God is up to. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. They're not our thoughts. God is up to something bigger than what you can see. But when you can't track his hand, you can always trust his heart. You can always trust the heart of God. And what he knew is this that God responds to the prayer of repentant sinners. And it's something that you and I need to be reminded of today as well, that you're never so far away from God that he can't save you. 
And maybe this message doesn't feel like it's for you. Maybe you feel like, hey, I am worshiping God. I am in a healthy and good place. And if that's true, I I pray that you stay there. But if you uh, ever heard a sermon that uh, maybe was for later, I want this sermon to be one that you keep in your back pocket so that you, if you ever wander from God, you can be reminded even in that distant country that God is merciful and if I repent, he will forgive. But maybe right now you're in that far country. You need to know that he is a God who responds to the prayers of repentant sinners. And if we can awaken to our need for him, he will forgive us. He goes on to say that that though the Lord has brought him low and though the weeds wrapped around his head, and he felt like he was dead, that he knew God would deliver. And look at the B part of verse number six. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord God. God knows how to bring our life back from the brink, from the pit. God knows how to show us mercy that will bring us back to him. What is the severe mercy in your life? What is God doing that seems harsh? Maybe it's a marriage that, that is so difficult that it drives you to God. Maybe you're a parent and you have a child that is breaking your heart again and again, and and yet it is a grace disguise because if it had not been for that child, you would not have had to depend so strongly on God. He goes on to say in verse number seven, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. That's the key. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I love how the NIV renders that one, that they forsake or forfeit grace. Those who put their hope in idols forfeit grace. You forfeit hope when you trust in things that can't rescue you. And that's what an idol is. An idol is anything we're putting our hope in that ultimately cannot save us. And if we've learned anything over the last 24 months, it's the fact that uh, corporations can't save us and governments can't save us and economies can't save us and militaries can't save us. But how many know that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? How many thank God that Jesus can save us? He is our sovereign savior. He is the one who answers every time we call. He is forever faithful. He is the God who can rescue you. Don't forfeit grace. Don't forsake mercy when it's being extended to you. Verse number nine, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Then he goes on to say that verse number eight, that that was verse number eight, verse number nine, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I love that verse because that's him coming back home. That's the first, first uh, public communication of repentance from Jonah we have in this story. He says, I will pay my vow. In other words, the thing that I've promised to God to be his mouthpiece, to be his prophet, to go where he tells me I will go, 
I will do that. This is Jonah saying, God, I will surrender to whatever you would have me to do. And what happens here? It says in verse number 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's kind of gross, isn't it? (laughs) But God gave him freedom once he surrendered to him. And today I just want to encourage you to know that God wants to give you freedom and restoration and salvation. But it starts at the point of repentance saying, Lord, I will surrender my heart to you. I will pay the vow that I've promised to you. I will do your will. Whatever you would have me to do, I say yes and amen to. No more fighting with God. I will do what God has called me to do. How many are ready to say that to the Lord? Amen. Stand to your feet all over this church. We're going to close in worship today, but as we close in worship, I want to just pray for those of you who might be runaways. I told you if chapter one could be entitled Jonah running from God, chapter two can be entitled Jonah running to God today. Maybe you've been Jonah running from God. I want to encourage you to run to him, come back home to the Lord. And you could do that after we worship at the front. There'll be those who'll be here to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that today you see us, that you're a God of mercy and grace, that you forgive us. Thank you for your severe mercies that lead us back to you. And Lord, I pray that today Jonah would come home in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.